The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining me for the show today. I love this chance that I get every week to just reach out and touch so many people out there. You know, I love to do the show live. So right now, I'm here in Southern California in beautiful, sunny San Diego, and my engineer is at the Unity Central Studios there in the tower at Unity Village, and they're dealing with an ice storm right now, (laughs) freezing. And then my guest is in New York, so I just feel like um, I'm connecting with you all over the place, wherever you are in time and space right now. So if you're joining me live, welcome. And uh, if not, of course, you can always get this show later on demand. So if you're listening then, welcome, (laughs) wherever you may be listening to. So I'm really interested to dig into this interview today. I've been reading this fascinating book called The Book of Freedom by Paul Selig. And he was able to join me today, so I'm really excited to welcome him. You know, a lot of what I've been reading in the book uh, is, is pretty amazing. I mean, many spiritual teachings say that the divine or God is within us all. And this idea can sometimes be controversial, as some people interpret that as arrogance or pride that we're comparing ourselves as humans to God. But doesn't the Bible say that we're made in God's image and that we're pieces of God? So a lot of this is kind of woven throughout uh, the book of freedom that I've been reading. And uh, our guest or my guest today challenges us to accept our true self as divine and accept our true nature of being. So I want to welcome Paul Selig. And Paul is considered one of the foremost spiritual channels in the world. And I've been reading this latest book, which is the third in a trilogy, The Book of Freedom. And in the book, he guides readers to the knowledge of their true selves. And Paul has been working as a channel for over a decade. He's also been described as a medium for the living. And you may have seen his work featured in many radio and TV shows, including ABC News Nightline, Fox News, Coast to Coast with George Norrie, among many others. And Paul offers channeled workshops internationally. And he also serves on the faculty of the Omega Institute the Kripalu Center, and the Esalen Institute, and he served on the faculty of NYU for over 25 years. So just a really interesting guy. I'm I'm really happy to have him on the show. So welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And how are things in New York today? Is it as cold as it is in Kansas City? (laughs) No, it's been been mild here the last few days, but I've been hunkered down working with the fireplace and the puppy, so I haven't ventured out yet today. 
Oh, that sounds very cozy, a fire a fireplace and a puppy. <laughs> I like that. I'm getting an, a great visual. So I'm I'm really fascinated to talk with you. I mean, this book, there's so much information. I mean, it would probably take hours to really go over everything. It's uh, it's so dense, you know, just so dense with information in here to share with people. So you you receive this. I just want to explain to people who may not be really clear on a channel. And a channel is someone who communicates information through them from a spirit being or beings to the outside world. So this is a, a little different from a medium who communicates with beings who have passed on. And a channeler doesn't necessarily communicate with people who have died. Would you say that's pretty accurate? Oh, you know, channeling is a form of mediumship. It's just a different way of operating. So when I'm channeling, I'm really just taking dictation from the guides that work with me. When I work as a psychic, I'm a radio that's, you know, tuning into your broadcast. And they call me a medium for a living only in that my reception seems to do really well with my guides and that level of transmission and people who still have a body. So those folks I can hear very well. Spiritual mediumship is what people tend to think of when they think of people speaking to the dead. And that's not really what I do. Right, right. I just wanted you to be able to make that distinction. It's so interesting. So I'm new to your work. You know, I'm so it's funny, like in your uh on your website, and it, they say you're the, um, what is it, the medium that, that people have not heard of? <laughs> There's a tagline yeah. that was used. And I'm like, why haven't I not heard of Paul's work? Because it's so profound. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was the ABC Nightline thing. I think they call me the, I, I, something like the best known psychic you've never heard of or something like that, right. which I appreciated. Um, but, you know, no, I, I, was, I was working very, very quietly for many years, and I actually wasn't looking to be known for this work. I was an academic, and I had a more traditional path that I was following, at least in terms of my public life. Um, and now this is what I do, and I've been outed, you know, through the publication of, of all of these books. So now I'm, I'm visible, and people are starting to find out who I am and what I actually do. I mean, what a switch from being on the faculty of NYU, you know, for over 25 years to doing this work. Yeah. I mean, that's quite, that's quite the transition uh, of a career path for sure. So as I'm reading this book, I mean, it's really fascinating. I've read some other uh, channeled works in the past. I mean, you may be familiar with the work of, you know, Esther and Jerry Hicks and Abraham, you know, the Seth material, um, that kind of stuff, even like Jay-Z Knight and, and Ramtha. Um, and your information you just in the book you share your you describe it as um guides that are sharing information from a, a higher level known as as your true self the highest self that can be known in, in manifestation now in the book the guides say that they were once in human form but not all of them mm -hmm. and that what they're sharing is a result you know of what they learned on the human plane you know but now they're at kind of a, a higher a higher octave or level of information. I mean, could you just tell me, is it the same group of guides? Are they different? Do they come and go? Are they genderless? Well, I'm, I'm kind of trying I, to get I'm a... Primarily, I'm primarily a clear audience, so I'm primarily hearing. And my inquiry into the nature of the guides, which has been present since it first began, has always been sort of secondary to the information that they bring through. I mean, they're teachers and they come through to teach and they describe themselves as teachers and they say that they're operating at a level that they call the Christ consciousness 
um, or Christ mind. And, you know, they say that some of them have been in form and some of them have not, or some of them have known themselves in form and have lived in body and some have not. So I experience them as a collective primarily because they usually use we when teaching. We have this to say or we have come to, you know, whatever they want to talk about. Um, and also, you know, I'm aware at times of distinctions between the personalities, and that's only through slight changes in vocabulary. I've become very accustomed at this point and familiar with the, the vocabulary that they work with, which is somewhat different than mine, which is part of the way that I trust the transmission. Um, in terms of my visual experience with them, that's been minimal. I've seen, you know, orbs and flashes of light, and one has shown up in meditation quite vividly on a number of occasions, and that's the primary guy that I feel that I work with and the one that I seem to experience as sort of moving the collective forward. And it seems like in the videos that I've watched that are available on YouTube, if people want to check it out, it's so fascinating. Does it take a lot out of you physically when you're in, in the state of transmitting that information? Because it, it seems very physical in, in a sense. It is for me. And I don't know why. You know, you mentioned um, Jane Roberts, who channeled Seth. And I, I saw a video of her working once, and, and I understood it. It seemed to be a physical process that she was engaged in. And, and that's my process as well. In fact, I actually don't follow other channels. And I read half a Seth book when I was a grad student before I was even into this stuff. Um, and that's the extent of my exposure to others. So for me, it is a physical experience and it can be uh, fatiguing. Um, and I use that word because there's something arduous about it and that I'm, I'm literally whispering the words as they come in and repeating them and often at a breakneck pace. And, you know, the books that come through me are really the unedited transcripts of those sessions. And when I'm channeling in a workshop, I've been known to channel for, you know, four to five hours in a day, which is a lot for, I think, anybody who's doing that kind of work. So I find that I can be fatigued and I can begin to channel and the guides will soar through me and I'll feel great. And afterwards, when I unplug, I realize, you know, what I've been through. But it's not hard on me. My central nervous system seems to be what's used here. So when I channel or after I've channeled, I'm highly noise sensitive and it's kind of like having a sunburn, you know, and you don't want too much around you. But I, I find the process still sort of so fascinating and I, I don't understand how it works. <clears throat> you know, I wasn't a trained channel. And when this began to happen, I had to learn through the doing of it. So I'm aware that my process is is not the most graceful iteration of of channeling that's out there, but it's just sort of how it comes through me. And my body is used through this, and my eyes often, I'm told, though I haven't seen it, change color when I'm channeling. They run a very bright blue, and I have, you know, dark hazel eyes. Um, so it's it's an interesting thing that goes on here, and the energy that comes with the channeling is usually very palpable to everybody in the room. So... You know, there's there's phenomena that's always been in accord with this experience, which is really how I got into this, because I was so intrigued by the energy of it. 
It is. It's so interesting when I, as I'm reading it, and then when I went and spent some time watching the videos, I could, I could sense that, like I could feel there's definitely an energy, something being transmitted and something going on. And you say that the, the information is not edited. So what you're reading is just kind of out there as you received it. And so, and I have to be honest, like sometimes it, it's hard to read, <laughs> you know, it, it's, um, it's something that I think you have to spend time with, like, as I've been reading through the book, and I would encourage people to like, don't, don't give up because there's some real, um, you know, real profound information that you share. And it's just in, I think in, when you were explaining how you actually go through the process, like you hear it and then you say it and then you repeat it, you mm -hmm. know? So as I was watching the video, like I had to kind of listen and then not listen, try to tune out almost uh, the second part so I could hear the first part of the message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I understand that people so it was interesting of attending to, to the process in me channeling. It's just sort of how it comes through. I mean, it's, you know, the books, if you think of the fact that the books are really just the transcripts and the only things that are ever changed in the books are occasionally like a mispronounced word or I was speaking so fast that I dropped an article, you know, I dropped a the in a sentence that clearly had one. And that's often discernible on the tape when you hear the whisper. There's a transcriptionist who goes through it now. The fact that it's as coherent as it is is, is, is surprising to me. The density of the material is real. I mean, there's no way around it. Um, and it's interesting to me because the guides, I think, have gotten more proficient at dictating texts as they've continued to do so. And when I read one of the books, I actually hadn't read it because I hadn't transcribed it. I read the book once it was in my hands and, and, and typed out, and I sort of couldn't believe that it was, in fact, a verbal dictation. But I think some of what you may be experiencing is the fact that it is a verbal dictation. It's not a book that was written. It's a book that was spoken into being. And the books, the guides say, are operating on two levels. They're the words on the page, which provide an intellectual construct or, you know, understanding of, of what they're trying to transmit, but that the real teaching is actually the energetic transmission that accompanies the book that's actually working with the reader as he or she reads. Well, that's a good point that you bring up because it's not, and and this being my first experience reading the book, like it's, mm -hmm. it's not written as a, a narrative or a story or any or anything like that where it would have like a storyline or, or something like that that you could follow so i mean what, but once they start sharing information and you really kind of are able to glean you know what's being said it's really fascinating it's really fascinating <laughs> stuff but it but it's like it, it is really interesting it is interesting to read it as as it was spoken to you I guess is what I'm saying. It's like a different experience from that, from them just reading, you know, any other book. And this particular one that, that I'm spending time with, the Book of Freedom, is book three in the trilogy. And mm -hmm. this was derived from a series of sessions that you did back in 2017 from July to September in different mm -hmm. workshops. So I feel like, am I coming late? I'm late to the Paul Selig party. <laughs> like, I feel I'm coming oh. late here. But I mean, yeah. do you think it's necessary for me to go back and read one and two um or, or mm -hmm. does that not really matter? Well, I, you know, the guides have said that they teach in a one-room schoolhouse and they'll meet the student wherever they arrive and at whatever level. Um, there are actually two trilogies in print now, and um, this is the, the third book of a second trilogy. The first trilogy began and was first published in 
the first book was published in 2010. So they've actually dictated seven books since 2009. So you are coming in at an exciting point in the teaching. I think it's helpful to have some context. And I've actually recommended that people, you know, looking at the trilogies, if they don't want to go back to the first book, which was called I Am the Word, which really holds, I think, the DNA of the subsequent teachings, to maybe pick up the Book of Mastery, which actually is the beginning of the trilogy that you just completed. The fact that you were able to enter into this and get it at the level that you're getting it, I think, is you know, a testimony to, to the availability of the information and also to you as, as a reader encountering it. They're pretty good at unpacking the information that the reader needs to know. But, you know, the books are lectures and the books are teachings, so they're not self-help books um, and they don't operate at that level. And the guides have said, you know, many times that, you know, self-help is for the small self. And that's not what they're teaching. They're teaching access to and alignment with what they call the true self or the Christ itself, that aspect of the divine that they say is here and is seeking to be realized as who and as what we are. So I could, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to go back and, and check mm -hmm. out some of the earlier books. Um, uh -huh. But from what you're saying, you know, you can, you know, someone could pick up the book of freedom and, and really benefit without having to catch up. They do, and then they often go back and then they read the other books. So people enter into this and then find themselves, you know, working with the teachings. And it's a larger teaching than, than one of the single books, although all of the books, I think, are offering something of substance and something complete in and of itself that the reader will benefit from. And the first book came out um, how long ago? That like was over 2010. A decade, it was channeled February, um, I think it was February 2009, so 10 years ago this month. And that book was dictated over two weeks, two and a half weeks of sittings consecutively. Um, and I didn't know there was a book coming until two days before. The guide said, we have a book to write, and if you take two weeks, we'll do it. And I agreed. And um, that was the first book. And they've done one pretty much every year, every year and a half since then. Um, you know, they have a lot to say, it seems, and, and that's it. So I just keep showing up for the transmission. Um, the last two or three books were done entirely in front of audiences and students. Um, the first initial books were done, I was on the phone with a woman in Berkeley and I was recording and then transcribing. And then they began to bring this out into the world more in, in public forums. So the books are all done now, you know, and videotaped as they're being transmitted. And it's, 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 it's sort of fascinating that it's happening in this way, but there's really no writing involved, just a lot of talk and a lot of transcription. Well, I thought the information in, in this book is, is really valuable. So I, I really hope that, that people pick it up. So I want to get into like some of the, the meat of the stuff that I, uh, that I kind of gathered for, as uh, I was reading it. So like what these guides are really telling us is like, wake up, right? Just <laughs> stop yeah. playing small. Like we're, we're really pushing ourselves down. Um, like in the chapter in agreement to the new, and it's, it's funny because I tried to apply this to an incident that happened yesterday. So what I got was that our divine self is always trying to come forward and that whatever we're encountering events are meant for us to learn from every single one so that 
that self can really manifest so that we have to look at each encounter with others as an opportunity to yeah. know the divine. And mm -hmm. so I tried to apply, I was thinking about this. So I went out to, to get a coffee at this coffee shop near my house. And so as I was coming out, I was getting a parking ticket and I, I wasn't really very nice to the guy that was giving me that said ticket because in my mind, Hey, I was here right at the time, you know, I didn't over park. What are you doing? So that, that coffee cost me 40 bucks <laughs> for, for that. So I was, so I was trying, when I came back, I was thinking, okay, well, if the guides are trying to tell me to, to learn from this encounter and so I guess how, how can you put that into, into like a common sense thing like that incident that just happened? How could I have learned from that encounter rather than, you know, how I reacted, <laughs> which was to call well, that guy kind you know, of I probably a, had a, to tune name. into you to find out what it meant for you. I mean, I suppose the lesson could be different for anybody. And what but even something so was. small. Well, I mean, the guides say we have, you know, you can't be a, a victim and a master at the same time. It's just not possible. And I, they, I learned that when, when they were dictating the Book of Mastery, and I had a back that was so bad that I thought I was going to have to have surgery. And I was trying to understand all of this stuff in a different way through circumstance. Um, so if I tune into you, I can, I'm going to see if I can just ask what it was about for me. <laughs> well, some of it, frankly, was about your ability to stay calm, you know, and your ability not to move into reaction. And I think the choice to do that was what you learn from. And that can be valuable. Um, you know, for somebody else, it might be, you know, read the parking sign, you know. And for somebody else, it might be you're drinking too much coffee. You know, I don't know what it would be <laughs> because it's not my experience or my life. I do know that when I'm able to do this and what is the opportunity for me to learn, I'm suddenly party to my own growth and my own process, and I'm not operating in the convenience of being a victim. You know, things are happening to me, and, you know, I have to move into reaction or fight it or blame. And all of those things, I understand, are ways that we end up denying the true self. You know, the guides say self-righteousness is always the small self. And every time I move to be self-righteous, I have to check in with that, and it's, it's invariably true. And it seems to come up time, time and time again. Um, and maybe in that, in that instance, because I did think about it and I did feel bad for, for calling that particular parking guy, the name that I said, as he gave me the ticket, you know, so I, I was thinking of, okay, well, where's the lesson, even in just this innocuous transaction with this guy, you know, with this parking guy who now I have to pay this, this $40 ticket. So it did, it did kind of spark something in me to pay attention to those interactions. And, and is that what they're saying? Just, you know, let well, our divine much, self come out and pay attention to those things. It's a much bigger teaching than this, I think. I mean, what the guides are really talking about in the Book of Freedom is our agreement to collective structure. And in this case, the collective structure might be you're supposed to pay the parking ticket, you know, and this adherence to whatever the rules are that we've been abiding by. Now, those rules, I understand, are far bigger than you know paying a paying a fine it actually has to do with how the construct of reality is operating and the agreements that we've made to abide by information for lack of a better word that may be illusory or not true or some things that have just been agreed upon you know there was a time when everybody believed that the world was flat 
And that was the collective belief. And the collective beliefs now seem to be, if the guides that I, I work with are accurate, everything that we see around us. The guides say, you know, look around you, everything you see, you're in agreement with. And by agreement, they mean energetic or vibratory accord. And as you align to the true self or the, the high self, whatever you really want to call it, they often say the Christ itself, what you call to you by way of experience is transformed. Now, on a very practical level, I have to know that if I get a ticket or if I get a tax bill, you know, I'm choosing to pay these things. Nobody's making me do anything. If I think somebody's making me do something, I'm back to an agreement to victimhood. But as long as I'm in choice, I can potentially align to something else and beyond that. But I also have to say that, you know, we don't have to do the things. You know, I've taught workshops and the guides have said to everybody in the room, you know, 100 people say, you know, you never have to go home. You know, you don't have to go back home after this. You can go wherever you want to. But the supposition is we have to go back to what we've known and adhere to the rules of how things should be and adhere to the, the common values or vocabulary of what things mean or have been named. And most of that stuff, I understand, is really fraught with history and weighted by it. So we end up, as the guides say, replicating history again and again and again, as opposed to claiming the new, which they say is available to us, but they say it's available in a higher octave. The guides are teaching, they call it the kingdom, and they say the kingdom is the awareness of the divine in all manifestation. So I would have to say the awareness of the divine in the encounter with the traffic officer you know, it would be a, a grand teaching to have. And then it stops being about the, the other stuff, you know. Um, we can make it about those things, but we can choose a different relationship to anything that we experience. We, we have the opportunity for that. Well, it seems like we're moving at such a slow pace to, you know, to get ourselves up to that, that level. Of, of the divine self with what they're suggesting in the book too. And they say they want us to be free. Mm. And, and what we need to free ourselves from is what you were just talking about earlier, like the beliefs and, and they say yeah. the collective fear that's that we've yeah. learned from that's been passed along through many yeah. generations and also many lifetimes. Yeah. Is, is yeah. that true? Yeah, they say the action of fear is to claim more fear. They say it again and again and again. And they say, look at the last choice you made because you were afraid and see what it got you. And you'll probably see you got more fear. And if you turn on the television or you read the papers, we're instructed in fear. We're taught to be fearful. And then we're taught to make choices based in fear or in agreement to what we're taught. And there is no freedom there, really. I mean, if you really think about it, you know, we become in agreement to this idea. So you can go on, yes? Oh, I was going to say, just hold, hold that thought. We're going to just ah. take a short break. This is so fascinating. I'm so glad you could join me today. I'm talking with Paul Selig about his book, The Book of Freedom, Part 3 of the Master Trilogy. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for listening. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. I heard from a young lady who was just starting out as a Unity minister, and she said, I am not teaching prosperity yet in my ministry because I have not yet demonstrated it in my own life. And I don't think I should teach what I have not demonstrated. And I wrote her back and said, Honey, you've got it all backwards. You need to teach what you want to learn. You teach what you want to demonstrate. Because you cannot demonstrate what you do not know. There must be an inworking before there can be an outworking. To find out more about Unity Teachings, visit unity.org. Every summer, Unity hosts an international convention, and you're invited. It's not just for ministers or members of Unity churches, but for anyone who could use a week of inspiration and connecting with others interested in spirituality. The Unity People's Convention will be in the Kansas City area the week of June 17th. Register online at unityworldwideministries.org slash registration. Sign up today and take advantage of the early bird discount through February. Discover Unity Village and you'll find a peaceful oasis just 15 miles from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. If you're doing business in the area or looking for the perfect place for your retreat or conference, check out all that Unity Village has to offer. With 1,200 wooded acres, a beautiful nature trail, award-winning rose garden, golf course, and newly redesigned hotel and conference center, Unity Village has everything you need for that perfect event. Go to unityvillage.org to find out more. Would you like to experience more peace and joy in your life through A Course in Miracles? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley support you in discovering the powerful life lessons available through this unique spiritual thought system that teaches the way to love and peace is through forgiveness. Join Jennifer every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, to experience the healing for yourself on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me through the break. Welcome back to the show. I'm Diane Ray. My guest today is Paul Selig, and we've been talking about his book, The Book of Freedom, uh, book three of the Master Trilogy. This is a channeled text. And this is uh, my first time speaking with Paul and reading his material. And I've just been really fascinated. Just I was reading over the weekend and just kind of taking a deep dive into this book. And, and I was telling Paul in the other segment that you know, it, it's not like just something you kind of read very easily and, and kind of and toss aside. I mean, I've really had to kind of 
stay with it. And then I'd go back and look up something, you know, make sure that I kind of understood it and then just, just keep going. I mean, it's just really rich with information that he's shared from his guides. And um, we are live here. So if you had a question for Paul, 816-251-3555, he's not really doing any kind of mediumship readings or anything like that, but can certainly answer questions about the material in his work. So um, before we went to the break, you know, we were talking about uh, the guides wanting us to be free. And a, a lot of what holds us back, well, from a lot of things is fear. And it's a, it's a collective fear that's been passed along through generations. I mean, we are, in, it seems like even an especially fearful time right now. I mean, have the guides shared with you that is this kind of the, what I've heard called a divine chaos, like the calm before the storm? Is there in, hope? Yeah, yeah there is <laughs> hope. hope. I mean, in the very first book, I'm the word, they said that humanity was at a time of reckoning. And they said a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations and that everything that's been created in fear needs to be reclaimed or renowned and recreated in a higher way. And um, they said in a workshop, about a year and a half ago, they said, you know, the times that you're in right now, this is when they were dictating, I think it was the Book of Truth, um, which preceded the Book of Freedom. They said, what's happening now is an excavation and everything that's been buried and hidden is, is coming to the surface. And they said, imagine your backyard and things that were buried five months ago are, are being pulled up to the lawn as well as things that were buried 5,000 years ago. And the lawn's going to look like hell for a while. But nothing really gets healed or until it's revealed to the light, until it's renowned, reseen, reclaimed in a higher way. So there is hope. Um, but I think we're having to also see now how we've treated one another and how we've been operating with values that are potentially antithetical to the well-being of other people and the planet and, you know, and all of this stuff. I think it's all up to be seen right now. I don't think that this is about convenience and I don't think it's necessarily about repair. I mean, sometimes, you know, if the foundation of a house or of a culture is faulty, you know, it's going to get rocked um, and something higher may be built in its place. At least that's my hope. Um, but yeah, I think that's a time of great change. And they've been saying this for a while. But, you know, there's a, there's great hope within it. But some of that really comes, I think, with how we attend to it. Um, and, and we have opportunity here. And, you know, if we, if we continue to make choices based in fear, individually and culturally, I would, I would have great concern, truthfully. So do you feel that the guides are also, um, maybe not, not warning us, but of, of what could happen if we don't evolve to recognize our divine self? Because I've read from other authors that we're going through a period of, of great evolution in our, mm -hmm. in our time in history, you know, that we're evolving to a, mm -hmm. a greater intelligence, a higher consciousness and that kind of thing. Is there kind yeah. of a warning if we don't recognize our, ourselves to- It doesn't come you know, through me that way, you know, and the guides don't teach in fear. I mean, I, you know, I have a practice as a psychic and I remember about five years ago, I was getting calls from all these people on the West Coast saying that somebody else said that the West Coast was going to drop into the ocean and should they sell their houses in Malibu? And it was like, 
wait a minute, you know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's very easy to, to, to run in those directions. And I am the word, I mean, they don't reference pop culture much or politics often, especially with names, but they did say at the very beginning of that book that 9-11 was actually an opportunity for us to sort of re-know ourselves as a country in transition and as a model for great change, and that if we continued to seek an authoritative stance of, of domination, what we were in store for would not necessarily be all that present or pleasant. You know, so that I have understood. And I think it's how we attend to anything and especially, you know, how we attend to our neighbors. And that's the person who lives next door to you or the person in the next country. You know, how we, you know, I mean, the guys have said this again and again and again. You can't be the light and hold another in darkness. They call it the height of hypocrisy and the problem with most of the religions right now. And, you know, some of this stuff is so extraordinarily simple. And if we could begin to attend to it, I think we would see wonderful change. But we want the convenience of the old and we want to believe that one person is more worthy of love or food or God than the next. And it's horseshit, truthfully. And if we want to keep doing that, I think, you know, we're going to learn the harder way. And, you know, the guides have said, you know, we can actually blow ourselves up if we want to. We can learn through that as well. This is still an opportunity to learn. So I don't get that we're going to. And I don't believe that they would be coming through and teaching with the level of, of earnestness and urgency that they do if they didn't feel that there was great hope for us. Um, so I'm optimistic. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> That's what I was hoping to hear anyway. So they, um, the, the chapter, well, I wanted to mention this too, the chapter on authenticity, I thought was very interesting. No, here was what I was going to say. So you said that they don't uh, mention a particular political, you know, figure or school of thought or anything like that. And they, and they don't really mention a particular school of, of religious thought either, like Buddhism or, or anything being one, one more viable or true than the other. But but don't you think they would agree that the common the common ground would be like the golden rule would, would apply, right? Like do do unto others, do they say anything like that? Yeah. I mean they say a lot of things like that. And I think that there's what the guides say what is true is always true. Has always been true and will always be true. The idea of people saying my truth is, they would say, well that's not your truth, that's your opinion. And so the idea of, of karma, you know, or the law of cause and effect, I think is always true. And do unto others is essentially a teaching of that. Now, they don't speak specifically to religions and they don't necessarily weigh them. They say that there's great truth in all of them. They do use language that's somewhat rooted in the Judeo-Christian tradition for whatever reasons, but they say that this teaching is coming through in different cultures in different ways to reach those who can hear it. So I suspect there may be some channel working, you know, you know, in Asia who's working with perhaps a different vocabulary to get the same kinds of points across. God forbid I should be the only one 
bringing this through. I think I'm bringing it through in a specific way as part of a canon of teachings that the guides are very clear about. But again, truth is truth. So their definition of the Christ um, is the, the aspect of the creator that can be realized in material form is who and what we are. It's the divine spark. Sometimes they call it the monad. But the aspect of God that seeks to re reveal itself as and through us. And as we are beginning to be revealed at that level, we begin to claim a higher world because God sees God in everything. But the key seems to be that you can't exclude anything from it because they say what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness and what you damn damns you back. It's really that simple. So the essence of these teachings, I think, is extraordinary. I think they're extraordinarily simple. And I would assume, although I'm not a scholar of religion at all, that this, these same ideas must exist and have existed in other teachings and other cultures since time began. The guides say this isn't a long, this isn't a new teaching. And they say they've been teaching it a very, very long time but in a different way, you know, depending on when, what time they come through. They don't use the language of science when they teach because they say the language of science is, is rooted in the times of, 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 of the culture. And what we call something today may not be how it's called, you know, 200 years from now. So then when they use metaphor, they usually use music. They speak of tone and vibration. And they speak of octaves and chords played and the resonance of the chord and how that calls into manifestation that which is of like vibration or like a chord. And this is something that I can understand, I think. But then again, you know, I think I probably got a D in science. I wasn't that interested, you know, when I was a kid. That's an interesting thought to think that someone maybe in Asia or another country might be distilling you know, kind of, of similar information, but in a way that those people there can understand. And thank you for answering that. My question didn't really come out as articulate as, no, <laughs> as no I was hoping, but you understood what I said. So um, I, I appreciate that. Um, and in, in the book, I, it's interesting how they, how the guides speak to you. There was one point that I was reading that they tell us, and it seemed to me rather forcefully, do they sometimes kind of grab you by the lapels and, and shake you in, 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 a, in a sense, you know, like, listen to me, like they were saying, stop lying to ourselves about our pain and suffering and stop pretending that we are not our higher selves. I mean, yeah. this kind of went, went through a lot of the book, you know, and surely we can acknowledge there's pain and suffering in the world. We're not imagining it happening to us, but they're saying they will not support us in acquiring more fear. I thought that was really interesting because I found that 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 paragraph, that part, it seemed like they were kind of almost being forceful, <laughs> like almost yelling at you so, in a way, like, you know, stop I mean, doing that, you know? Well, I mean, you know, but I, I don't know. We, we also live in a culture that, think, that says, I, I find this, and I'm, I, forgive me, I'm not a very good new ager, but that it's all supposed to be unicorns and rainbows. And I don't think that that's the truth of being. I think being alive gives you the wealth of all experience. But I also think what the guys are saying is we over-identify with narrative that actually keeps us stuck. It's not about what people now call spiritual bypassing or pretending things are fine. It is about realizing that we have responsibility for the choices that we make. And the claim of identity, which is a big one that they teach, the claim I know who I am, 
which they say is as an aspect of the divine, they say that's the truth of who you are. And what you're acting as if, as if it's your personality or what happened to you when you were 21 or that your husband was unfaithful or that the doctors said the diagnosis was terrible. And we then sort of acclimate to these ways of knowing ourselves in the world, they say at the cost of who we truly are. And that's the eternal self or the true self, the self that exists beyond form, but may express itself as you or as me or as anyone in form, because they say, you know, it's either in God is in all things or God is in no thing at all. So it's a re-identification and it's letting go in some ways, quite simply, of just an idea, you know, just an idea that we're stuck, just an idea that we can't change, just an idea that we can't know the divine. I mean, in some ways they say, you know, it's as if we've been operating with a false ceiling and we think that what we see as a ceiling is as far as we're allowed to see or go. And in the Book of Freedom, they really talk about this as like punching a hole through that false ceiling. And as enough of us begin to do that, the ceiling collapses. And what exists beyond the ceiling is there. It's always been there. But we've been operating as if it isn't because we were told we weren't allowed and could not have access to it. And that's again Right, and operating of, yeah. of fear, right? Or operating on those old beliefs. Exactly. It's the belief in separation. You know, and it so seems like they get frustrated. Yeah. Do, do they get frustrated with us? Because it seems like uh, they say, and I'm quoting, we know who you are, even mm -hmm. when you deny it, you are deeply loved. Yeah. And the one that we would find the most horrible on this plane is deeply loved, even even yeah. that person, even, yeah. that, even whatever one we think is the most horrible, a, a Hitler yeah. or Saddam or and any well, of them. Those are your examples. They're not theirs, but it's true. Yeah, that's right. how they teach. And do they get frustrated? Well, the only time I've ever heard them get what I would call fed up, and I actually don't know if they ever get fed up, it just might be for, 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 for dramatic intent, is about how we treat one another and how horrible we can be to one another and how we as a culture enjoying hanging people in the town square, you know, and that that's still our entertainment. And I think that that absolves us of our own complicitness in whatever act we see. They say, if you can see something, anything, whatever it is you're seeing, you're actually in agreement to it, which is vibrational accord, which means the consciousness that you hold is affirming it. And you're gonna to continue to see what you say you don't want as long as you continue to align to that level of consciousness. And the opportunity is for transformation, but we can't do that and we're busy you know, damning everybody and damning everything because that just puts us into that agreement with what we damn. So I don't think that they get frustrated with us. I think that it's a very loving teaching and they certainly don't teach in fear, you know, and they're very patient with me because I interrupt the teachings all the time, you know, because I don't always understand them and they're often confounding to me. And so you'll see in the books and in all of the books, they'll say, Paul is interrupting, you know, and most of the time they'll take my question because they have to in order to continue the teaching. Once in a while they'll say Paul is interrupting and we wish to finish our, our teaching and we'll return to his question later, which is fine. And that just reminds me that they're in charge and I'm actually usually relieved when they do that. But it's not a convenient teaching. This isn't 
a teaching for somebody that just wants to say a couple of affirmations and 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 pull an angel card, you know, and get their answers. This is really about really looking at how we operate and how we treat ourselves and how we treat other people and how we're in agreement to a world that does look like it's in chaos and how our presence as a conscious being might support that transformation, you know, to something greater or more loving. It seems like when when I was listening to your explanation, like maybe not frustrated, but almost like they're talking to us like we are the children, right? We're, we're the little children. Well, sometimes you might get exasperated with, with a kid for doing something that is, is harmful to them. Like we keep doing it over and over. And, and you're right. Like how f we haven't, although on one hand, people are saying, well, we're evolving to this higher consciousness, but really are we when we're still, we still enjoy seeing someone in the town square, although yeah. On, in this day and age where we're not seeing them actually literally hanging or a guillotine, we're still watching people in, in another sense, like losing their careers, uh, you know, overnight for something oh. they may have done, you know, and yeah. we, we seem to still delight in that in a way, like watching people fail. And so what they're saying, as long as we're still participating in that and kind of reveling in it or, in, or enjoying that, it's just going to take us longer and longer to to be where we should be, to I mean, recognize our divine that's self? One example, you know, they talk in, I think it was in the Book of Freedom, they talk about, you know, people throwing rocks at, you know, the person who was uh, scorned by the, shunned by the community adult or whatever it was, you know. In the old days, they used to throw rocks, you know. And the woman stoned an adulterer, I guess, was the example that was being used. But they say, you know, you're still doing it. And then you say, well, I, I just threw a pebble because everybody else was doing it, so it's okay. And the guy said, well, you know, that may be the pebble that killed the man or killed the woman. You know, you're still party to the act. So I think it's a larger teaching about the inherent divine. Now, if I want to exclude the divine in anybody, and I mean anybody, I can do that. That's my choice. But in doing that, I have excluded the divine in myself. You can't be the mm. light and hold another in darkness. And we want the that is a challenge. Of, well, it's, yeah, you know, it is a challenge, but, you know, I don't, you know, I, 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 I mean, I get fed up too, you know. I mean, I, there was somebody on social media today who posted something that I just thought was cruel about people, you know, in general. And I went, you know, and this is somebody who's claiming. A spiritual life, I suppose, given that, you know, they're, they're following my work. And I thought, you know, how could you say this and be claiming to, to work with this teaching in any way? But, you know, we're all here to grow and we're all here to learn. And I don't have the right to criticize anybody else, I suppose, for, for what they're choosing. But I am accountable to myself. And I have to understand that if I want to do that, if I want to say, well, she's deserving of God and he's not, I'm pretending to have this spiritual life that I do because I don't think it can be so. I cannot believe that there is something called a God, or if there is, and I choose to believe that there is, that could possibly love one human being more than the next or less than the next. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, it's 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 egregious to me. And I you know, if that's the kind of God that there is, I, I don't really want any part of it. 
And, you know, the guys that I teach are teaching that God, you know, and I don't come from this. I come from somebody who was, I was raised an atheist. It wasn't part of my life at all. And um, so I didn't come with tremendous baggage to this because I didn't have any of it. So I basically understand what I'm being taught and I do my best. And that's not always very good to live by what they say, because I believe it's true. But I do believe that it's not convenient and I can have my convenience if I want to or I can have what they say are the gifts of the teaching, which are is the realization of the divine in everyone and everything. Right. And we just have to kind of re release our judgments, I guess. And, and therein probably lies the challenge that as human beings you know, going trudging through the, our lifetime, you know, we, we have to learn those lessons uh, over and over. That's yeah, so interesting, God. though, that you, you came from an atheist perspective. Yeah, totally. I, I believe the people who believed in God were probably stupid. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that was what I believed. I mean, I didn't know any better. I grew up in Manhattan, you know, in the 60s. We went to therapy. We didn't go to church. I mean, or synagogue or anything. You know, I didn't know. And when I was 25, really out of sheer necessity, not because I thought it would be nice to get spiritual, I began to look for something more. And that's when my abilities started to kick in, which surprised me because I would not have thought of myself as psychic or sensitive more so than anybody else. Troubled, perhaps, or, you know, sensitive to my feelings, perhaps, but I didn't know what clairsentience was. And I didn't really know what it meant to be a channel because that wasn't my experience. So, and I do say that if this stuff is available to me, it must be available to everybody else too. But we also have to be willing to receive it. And that does mean perhaps letting go of some ideas of who we think we're supposed to be in the world. Right. That's so true. I was going to ask you that. I mean, we all have that voice within that could connect us to the divine. And, and a lot of times we ignore it. And although we may never be able to be or be on a level of receiving the kind of information that you get, I mean, we, we all are really meant to make that connection and be essentially our own channels, right? I mean, do you believe that's possible? Yeah, I mean, channeling, as I understand it, is a skill set. And what I do is I take dictation, I don't think that it makes me more spiritually evolved than anybody including those who don't have a practice or a God that they believe. And I just don't think it works that way. So, but I, I think we all have an intuitive nature or a heart that asks to be listened to. And I think once we stop thinking so much, we can begin to know. And the guides say that the true self knows and the small self thinks. And the intuitive nature or the God within I believe, wishes to be in communication with us, but we have to, you know, give it permission to do so. Right. I think so, too. I mean, that's something I, I work on a lot myself, you know, just trying to to listen to that, that communication and that voice, because I would like, and I think most people would agree that they would like a closer relationship, you know, with, with God or, or with the divine. You know, one thing real quick, we just have a minute or two left. Uh -huh. I didn't notice any... Um, mention throughout the book of like they have they ever shared with you there's no devil evil hell or is that just a, the suffering is the separation from god they mentioned evil occasionally but mostly 
they talk about things as, as, as within a scale. They say we exist in an octave, and an octave has low notes and high notes, low vibration, high vibration. They don't make low bad. They say even fear is of God because nothing can be outside of God, but fear doesn't know itself as of God, and that's the problem. So it's acting in defiance or a belief in its own separation, which is not possible. So no, they don't speak to that stuff, um, you know. And I, and, but they do say that any religion that's trying to teach you in fear um, is probably teaching a false teaching because that's not how one is brought to the light: is to be told to be frightened of the darkness. So, you know, there you go. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of times we're well, we're controlled by fear, and, and a lot of times big organized religions uh, use that to their advantage <laughs> very effectively, I think. Unfortunately, uh, yes. But, you know, you've got to look at the truth of these things. And I, I have to trust when the guides say, you know, what is true is always true. And, you know, I think just because somebody says something doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. And just because it's been believed for a long time or agreed to for a long time doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. And we have opportunity now to re-know ourselves and, and re-know our world. But if we want to continue to buy into fear, we can. Again, we can learn through anything. You know, it's all opportunity. It's not always fun. But I, yeah, it's been I agree so... it. It's a challenge. It is. It's been so great to talk with you, Paul. I really appreciate you sharing this information, and, and I'm looking forward to reading some of your other books. Check Thank out you. Paul online, paulselig.com. And thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.